All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Are we rolling? One time for Dylan. Uh-huh. <laughs> Make sure all the peaches eaten. Here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah. Y'all should see my face. Yeah. Tears for Fears, Woman in Change. Yeah. That's you on base. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. 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 Roll call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. And I ain't got no vino. Yeah. But I'm chilling here today. Yeah. With my main man, Pino. Roll call. Suprema. My name is Sugar. Yeah. My core beliefs. Yeah. Peace, love. Yeah. And chicken grease. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. That's what we know. Yeah. You take your Jamerson. Yeah. I take my Pino. <laughs> Yeah. What yeah. rhymes with that? You know why you doing this to me? Yeah. God damn, he ain't no me no. Yeah. My name is Pino. Yeah. I couldn't rhyme to save my life. Yeah. He's not saying it. That's it. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Again. I gotta go twice. Yeah. That's you on base. Yeah. And another day in paradise. Roll call. Suprema. 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 Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. 
Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. This is going to be that Chris Farley episode. Remember that time you played bass on this shit? Yeah, literally. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> okay, y'all, this is Questlove Supreme. That's uh, Fonte. That's Steve. That's uh, Unpaid Bill. That's Lightyear. I was trying to slow the theme down for you so you have more time to think and change your rhyme. Right. No, no, but you know, I mean, now, you know, just ride the rhythm. Okay, you're more. right. I'm, I was, I'm I was trying to help good you. At because I was told I don't support you enough on the show. and I Oh, wanted to... <laughs> shit. And that's how you're going to do it. Yeah, I was slowing the music down so you could have more time to think about your rhyme. But, and I did it. And you you tipped the ball in. You won the champion. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now you, you, no, you finished strong. You finished it. You, you stuck <laughs> you the landing. We got a lot of to go. So. Me now, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like something like that. I was going to say jalapeno. Say. I had a, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, jalapeno could run. Right, right. Yeah. Jalapeno, yeah. Cappuccino. Wait a minute. If you do a gospel record, you could call it jalapeno. <laughs> None. Wow. None. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Y'all didn't like that. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally. You call yourself a host. If he does a Spanish record, This is probably going to be the shortest introduction ever, ladies and gentlemen. If I only had one person to choose to play bass with for the rest of my days, I would choose our guest. Pino Paladino. Wow. Oh. Wow. Because the real truth is, someone told me to just go to Spotify real quick and see, like, you know, because they'll always make like a playlist or whatever and things you played on or whatever. And I thought normally, like, my thing ends at like at least like 74 songs, maybe. Se- Yo, dude, you've played on like. 510 songs and yo I, like I thought you were just my secret that's the worst kept secret of all time, <laughs> of all time. <laughs> funny. yo dog like I didn't realize you're playing bass on all good for De La Soul now I do kind of remember that I believe the day that I was supposed to fix Whatever song I was—I forget the name of the song I was supposed to fix for them on that album, but you came in before to play. Well, you know what happened? We were in Electric Lady, me and you and D. Right. At Electric Lady. And it was the day we finished Voodoo. You, you got a call. Right. And you're like, yeah, he's here. And, and you're like, what are you doing like now? Can you go over to De La Soul Studio and play on this song? So right. That's how that came about. So thank you. Yeah, that was I I forgot about that, but I'm literally going through this thing, and even with stuff that I should know, like I didn't realize that was you on Times of Wasting. Mm. I hate on Times of Wasting a little bit because I feel like that's other side of the game, diet Honestly, other side right, of the right, game right, right. without me, Erica <laughs> James. Uh, yeah. You know I'm not salty, but um, people love that song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a limited time with you, bro. Let's just. Let's just go. First of all, okay, where are you from? Okay, so I was born in Cardiff in Wales. Okay. To an Italian father, Welsh mother. Um, spent most of my youth in Cardiff. Moved to London in 1981 and lived there until 2016 when I moved to L.A. That's a real brief. Wow. Really? All right, so then day two, you just became the funkiest motherfucker ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right there. So, so, yeah, in Cardiff, where I, where I grew up, um, 
you know, I hear a lot of different music down the docks area of Cardiff. There, there were a lot of a lot of soul music, a lot of African music, stuff like that, reggae. So I grew up listening to a lot of that music. And um, when I moved to London in, in the early '80s, I didn't really get to play that music. I was playing fretless bass, and it became a thing. And I played on a whole bunch of pop records, and and different artists mm -hmm. uh, were calling me for that sound. So move on to like 1997 when I met Dee and you, that was the first time where I really got to express that side of, you know, that, that roots bass playing thing. Okay. I know that here at iHeart, we're out like 10 seconds of music. So just to let the world know, <laughs> the, the song that really set it off, that I assume set it off for you and your reputation for bass playing was of course, uh, Lady in Red by Christopher. Well, there's one before that. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry, bro. I have to say Paul Young, Wherever I Lay My Hat, which is a Marvin Gaye cover. It's a B-side of a Marvin Gaye song that we rearranged. Okay. And it had like a fretless intro, and it was mainly like fretless bass and voice. Pino, why fretless? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Thank you. Well, <laughs> yeah, um, Jacko. Yeah. Uh, Jacko Pastorius, obviously, but, but even before Jacko, when I was a kid, I went to a concert and saw John Martin who's a great folk guitarist, songwriter back in, back in the UK. And Danny Thompson was playing upright bass with him. And that sound really did something for me when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, and that was like the slidey stuff, the harmonics, the, you know, that sort of fretless approach that Jacko also had. So is this you? Yeah, every time you go away, yes. Oh, every time you go away. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's, God, that's it's right there. Right. All day. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, classic. I can see why you were so happy to play on Voodoo. <laughs> yeah. that's a, uh, it's still a classic, though. No, I, I came from yeah. Paul Young, and I'm, I'm going to tear your uh, play, us, play down. us down and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. In high school, like, were you in a high school band? Like, what was your teen years like playing bass? Yeah, I didn't really play guitar until I was, like, 14, I guess. And I came to it from, um, before bass, I played like Spanish guitar. And I came to it because I went to a Catholic school. And um, we had a priest there that would give like lessons so that you could play like cowboy chords type of stuff, you know, in, in folk masses. Okay. So I kind of started playing in church. Church. <laughs> that explains everything. Everybody. <laughs> All the time. I was waiting for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I was like, okay. <laughs> that that, that explains church, it now. Black church. All church. Yeah, right. Um, I get it now. But I we didn't have much of a music course, uh, a music type of thing in, in the schools I was in in, that, in those times. So it was really more about sport for me when I was a teen. I wasn't really that interested in music till I reached like 16 maybe. So did you always know that the less is more approach is the way to go. There's a moment where I lived for every night. Every night, whenever we would get to left and right. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking of our, our, our time served on the voodoo tour with D'Angelo. And, you know, th th that was a, was, every night was like a two hour and 15 minute experience. Absolutely. Or, you know, no indeed, sometimes. Sometimes even longer. Three hours, <laughs> right, right, right. But when the song is over, and we go back to that bridge right before the very end. That's when I learned that when you don't play nothing, that's almost as effective as if 
you know, the bass player that's like, ah, I got to get my best flea thing on and, and do the best and impress people. So you would actually, you would play the groove and then come back in. And I don't know, like, I was just like, wait, why does that excite me? Why is not playing something excite me more? So suddenly I was like, what happens if I just take the kick drum out for two bars and see what happens? And then when it comes back in, it's almost like I came back even more. Right. And I started doing that trick. And people, you know, like what you know, musicians, like the highest honor is the post-dilla, like that woo-hoo yes, thing. Yes, indeed. And I, that's a trick I stole from you, which is like when I don't do something oh, and pay, take it away and then bring it back. Yeah, dynamics, man. Yeah. It's even better. So how did you learn... He just forgot the notes and and just. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it comes from okay. If I think about that, it probably comes from like playing sessions for reggae guys wow. back in the day because, you know, there I don't know the names of these guys I was playing with because I was a young bass player. I was listening to a lot of fusion stuff, mm -hmm. so I wanted to play a lot of notes, right? So you did want to? Oh flex. hell yeah! Okay, yeah, yeah. But then these guys would just like tap out the rhythm of the bass line on my shoulder in the studio like do 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 and then nothing you know and and that taught me about space and and if you want to get into it i mean you got control of the notes and the length of the notes but you also have control of the spaces right and that's that's where the, the fun for me is louder for the people in the back man yeah i would love nothing more than for every musician to just lay back and Breathe. do do less, but you know. Well, yeah. but that well, being said, Pino, do you ever want to put together a jazz fusion band where you just fucking kick ass? Oh, like, I have. Oh, yeah, okay. I've done that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> well, I, you know, I even say I with Chris, all the notes that you but, don't uh, normally play. Yeah. Even the night that we went to go see you with Chris, like I'd never seen you in that environment. I was sort of wondering, like, well, is Pino going to be the Pino that I know the Pino to be, or is he going to like flex a little bit? And you, like, if you can hang with Chris Dave, then you can hang with anyone, anything, any, you know. So, how old were you when you officially uh, changed over to playing bass? To bass, uh, 17. How weird of an adjustment is that? Yeah. Is it transferable? Yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, I was playing guitar in, in, a, in a local rock band, and we had a bass player. Um, and, you know, I kept on picking up the bass and, like, working out the lines for him to play. Mm -hmm. I had a good ear from very early on. And the more I played bass, the more I was like, I want to do this. This is more fun. So, like, for me, the drums aren't the focus point. You're just the traffic cop as the drum. And, like, I'm supposed to be married to the bass player. And right, you taught me right, that right. it's a marriage. Right. And not for nothing, without being disrespectful to my entire history, but sometimes it's like if you don't have a good marriage, air quotes, yes. with the rhythm section, which is the drum and bass, then, you know, your music might be in trouble. And I've been in a few situations in which you don't vibe rhythmically right with you're not on the same vocabulary right so for you when you're in an ensemble and now like since you're such a god at your craft i would at least like to think that musicians respect where you come from and kind of want to fall in line but is it hard to find hmm. musicians to come down to your level and you know, to the and I don't mean the abyss as in like the bottom is a bad place, but like yeah. that zone where you are, where you do just very little and you do just the right things and for them not to overplay or overdo 
Is yeah, it, uh, it's a good question, I mean, I think it can be really frustrating sometimes when you know how something could sound if if there were just like minor adjustments. Mm -hmm. But but in my experience, it never really helps to try and tell somebody that. They have to come to it. You know? I was going to say, are you allowed to tell the person? Yeah, it, it usually doesn't work. I'll doesn't learn, work out? No, it doesn't work out. Now, as a drummer, I've learned ways where I could force people to see things my way. I've learned mm -hmm. like uh, a loud flam, <laughs> and suddenly everyone's like, Right. They right. stop playing. Or if you dock it, their pay, they'll notice that. <laughs> that works. That'll work. That'll work every time. Yeah, but I mean, there's, you know, and I'll slow it down or whatever. I mean, but now I just have a communication mic. So it's, it's you know, I'll just say, stop playing, you know. But is there a way that you talk to other instruments to hmm. reel them back? Or if you hear a wrong note, the keyboard's playing, you sort of. Not really in terms of harmony, in terms of rhythm. That's that's my thing, you know, rhythm. I'm I'm hot on that shit. That's why we hit it off so much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what you said about maybe the drums aren't the driving force behind a band, I think in, in beat-driven music, for me, like if I'm going to produce something or, or put a band together, the first thing I'll, I'll think about is the drums. You know, get that right, and then everything's going to fit in. So I think rhythmically, yeah, sometimes if I feel like, the, 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 somebody's hanging back on the drums or slowing down, I'll push a little bit, but I don't have any kind of communication things like you said, a loud flam that would stop everyone playing or okay. stuff like but that. But you both are notorious, like, at least from what I hear, in, in playing on the backside of the beat all the time. And that's sort of D'Angelo's, where, where, where it lives. So like, uh -huh. when you go to a different band, where it's more like where the, whether it's on a click or it's something like that, yeah. or do, what do was it like with yeah the who yeah <laughs> like, like yeah well like, let, like that push let and me pull say that the... shit would not work with the who <laughs> <laughs> at all. basically at so all. you gotta give what what's called for yeah totally and and you know that's what I that's what I love too about playing so many uh, different genres of music it's it's like it's all about the relationship with the bass and the drums right mm -hmm. like in soul music black music generally the bass is important with the drums you know that that. Those are the two things that really put the thing in a place. In rock music, it's more like guitars and drums. And the bass is, you know, it's supportive. It might be playing some 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 licks and stuff, but mainly the, the interactions between rock guitar and, and drums. All right, so for every bass player that's listening that will kill me if I don't ask the right questions, <laughs> what was your first uh, bass that you purchased or the first axe that you Fender Precision. Wait, you've always used a Fender Precision? Yeah, from that was the first axe I had, yeah. Um, back in the 1975, I guess, yeah. Okay, so what you're known for, how do you how do you get your tone? Like, what bass are you using? Mostly a precision bass. No more moon? Yeah, the moon comes in sometimes. That's more like a jazz-style bass, like a Fender jazz-style bass. Yeah. Here's the weird thing. Okay, so just recently played with Larry Graham like two months ago. And he had, not only did he have the, the, the moon. Yeah. He had the see, mic? Oh. Oh, he didn't have the mic thing on him. That mic we was were, amazing. We were in a studio setting. But I, I saw blood marks on it. So. Wow. Yeah. Like, so he really, like, gets That's into crazy. it. Right. But his, it was weird to me because I saw the moon bass and I was like, wow, I wonder, like, if he has the same tone as Pino. Because, you know, he was just in a corner, like, practicing, whatever. And it didn't sound that way so how do you what the sound that we know you for like what strings are you using what 
What are all your yeah. secrets? Please just <laughs> yeah, yeah. divulge them to the world right now. I assure you, now. even if you were to give it, yeah, you motherfuckers still it wouldn't match it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it, it's public knowledge. It's out there. I've done interviews before. No, I'm kidding. Gear and stuff like that. But Tell us everything. But yeah, I mean, a Fender, my Desert Island bass would be a Fender Precision bass. It's just got one sound and a tone control, right? Just mm -hmm. one pickup and a tone. You don't have a selection of different sounds from pickups. It's pretty much one sound. Um, and I like the sound of flat wound strings on it. They feel better. Just physically, they feel better. And the longer you leave them on, the more warmth they have. The sound is warm. So you know? the older? Yeah. I played your bass before, and those strings are really, really thin. Like, you can't. Oh, really? You well, can't do which things bass. that I expect. To yeah, do. yeah. Like, I'm thinking Seinfeld. Basic stuff. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need like wire wound strings, round wound strings for that sound, really, like Larry, Larry's sound, you know. So, how often do you break a string? Never. Yeah, because you barely mm. touch the string. Yeah, I don't hit the strings hard at all. Yeah. So, the Fender you have, right? I don't know how many Fenders you have on you. Yeah, a lot. Okay, so in your voodoo, <laughs> so, well, let I'm me like, ask: Has your life <laughs> since voodoo has your life changed as far as the volume of bases that you have? Or yeah, since yeah, the yeah who? probably the who, yeah, yeah, with right. the who, yeah, gave me the opportunity to to buy to all ramp kinds up of and beautiful. all that stuff in the voodoo days between two thousand two thousand three. Mm -hmm. How many bases are you carrying around with you? Like two, pretty much. That's what I remember. Okay, yeah, yeah. so the strings you had on your voodoo bass do you still have your voodoo bass yeah with the same strings you do wow <laughs> oh yeah i put those on in 93. 1993 yeah and it, it it's always later. just stayed in working order and yeah they, they sound like i say they sound warmer the longer they kind of settle into the instrument just the string itself settles wow in. remember what happened to your moon bass yeah what Where, happened that voodoo bass uh we're not a real Talk podcast. We don't give context. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We just assume that everybody knows the two of you all yeah. the time. Right. Please continue. Well, yeah, I was... Uh, Talk I was, about what happened to your black moon base. It was actually the... So this is weird, but the moon base is I had two stolen. So the white one was stolen. The first one I played on the Voodoo uh. album was the white base. That was stolen. Somehow, when I checked it in in San Francisco airport on a United flight, it just didn't come out in L.A., and that was the last I saw of it. During the voodoo tour? Just before the voodoo tour. Damn. Just before. Now, we, we I didn't want to hear this story. I know. Now depressing. I'm having PTSD. All right, keep but, going. But then I had a, uh, you know, I, I had a, well, then I contacted the company and, and they made me a new moon base. <laughs> They're like, yeah, right, dude, Pino, we won't give you one. Yeah. No. But they said, you know, there's a limited run of the Larry Graham. So we, we, we you know, we, we can't do you the white one like, like the Larry base. And I said, okay, well, make me a black one then. So that's, a, that's how I got the black moon base. Then that got stolen from a Who gig wow. in like 2008. Yo, who keeps stealing Pino's bases? Yeah, Strange, send right? them back if you can. But there's a good end to this story. Oh, hit me. It came back to me. Oh, thank you. That <laughs> was quick. <laughs> well, somebody uh, bought it from a porn store or something, uh, and um, they, they, were, they were a fan, and they'd been watching some videos of us playing voodoo, and they saw the bass had a couple of nicks out of the neck. Wow. And he's like, I think this is... Pino's bass, and they, they reached out to me, and I got it back. Incredible, yeah, right? real love. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fonsigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson, 
Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah. My thing is, is that the, the voodoo fender, that should never leave your house ever again. Like, yeah, yeah that, well, it's safe. It's safe. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. seriously, for me, I just got my things fall apart drum set back. Where so, was it? No, um, the studio tried to auction it. So are y'all really saying that an instrument you use an instrument for every project and then we just move on? Is that what we're saying? You know what? I'm different like that. So starting with Fallon, every 100 episodes, I make Lovewig make me a brand new drum set. Okay. It's problematic now for storage because I have about 63 drum sets, like, and I'm running out of space. Mm. So I got to stop that. But <laughs> <laughs> to your chagrin. But for the most part, I've I've documented every drum set I've played on for records, you know. So I, every record a different set, that's what I'm saying. Um, Sort of, kind of. So, I mean, but not by design. Like, oh, for this particular one, I'm going to use this one for this, you know. But I, I, yeah, for Roots albums, I will like, hey, let me, especially with Phrenology, which was like, okay, let's make the anti-Things Fall Apart record. Oh, let me try a different drum set. So that's where that comes into play. So since you're divulging some of your technique, so where's the secret sauce? I, I'm thinking gain structure. And the, like, because you know, Amir, how you're always talking about how the lighter you hit a drum, yes. the more effective the sound I just sound discovered will be, however, the lighter you hit, 
Right. That's where the pop comes. Well, so it's, it's bass the same on a bass, right? Because if you well, if you hit any inst- instrument too hard, it's going to choke it, right? If you hit the string too hard, it's going to bounce against the fret and choke the, the the envelope of the note, you know. So, I mean, a light touch gives you more bottom end for sure. Which is kind of counterintuitive, almost like you would yeah, think you'd that think you, you know, get bass, dumps, you know, like hit uh, it hard, but that just takes out the bottom end. And the harmonics, or how how do you like? Is that part of that? Not really. I mean, you know, I, I love the sound that James Jameson made on the bass, and, and that was the idea back in 93 when I got that bass. Mm-hmm. I immediately put those old um, uh, heavy gauge labella strings on it and and just left them on ever since, you know. But they don't have any top on them. So if you play like Jaco-style Jaco harmonics, you won't get them out of those flat strings at all. Mm. So it's more about the fundamental sound and... Um, you know, I don't really have the tone on very much either. The tone is kind of on half or sometimes less than half. So it's a real thump. Well, what about the volume? Come, the like, volume's how do you, on full, yeah. How always. do you do your gain structure until you get to your amp or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I just literally have the volume on full and then it's up to whoever's getting the sound. Right. <laughs> what kind of amp? Yeah, well, B15s are great, right? The Ampeg B15s. For studio or for studio, live? Or yeah, bo- studio, yeah. But live, I mean, I used one on, on a tour recently live because everyone's on in-ears now, so you don't need that big sound behind you because you uh-huh. can hear it clearly, you know. Okay. So if I'm learning bass, again, I wanna, I'm using the, the opposite of you. A bass player I still respect, but kind of the opposite. Flea. Yeah, yeah, totally. What type of strings am I, are those like heavy duty strings that can take the pounding and... and... Not necessarily, but he, he probably uses like a medium gauge uh, round wound string, I, I, I would guess, because then you get the pop out of it. And, and the round wound strings allow you to get that bounce when you hit it with your thumb. Now, do you have the ability to go full throttle pop if you, if challenged? I mess with it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but but I'm, no that's that's not my ballpark really okay okay um but if I, I guess your particular uh your particular uh choice of strings um if you haven't changed them since 1993 then like what if you run into a situation like now ampex tapes are hard to find Right. Now, I was recording yeah, yeah. at a time where Ampex tapes were everywhere. But had I known then, stock up on Ampex tapes, I would have stocked. But oh, now, oh. here we are in 2023, and you can hardly find them. What if you're in a situation in which strings that you haven't changed since 30 years ago go, like, is there a likelihood of them? Well, you going? know, one of them broke on a, on, a, on a tour with D, actually, on a 2015 tour with D. The, the E string on that, on that thing broke, and I put... A new version of it on, and it sounded like it wasn't very good at all. So, so they changed the recipes throughout the. Well, no, but those strings just sound different when they get older. So, if you got three like strings that are like thirty years old and one new one, it just don't. Mics have the are the same, same way. It's the same for microphones. Like, really? Oh yeah. Like um, I bought a uh, a Neumann U eighty seven, and like fresh out the box, it, it sounded very harsh and brittle. And my dealer was telling me he was like, "Yeah, the older." The older mics over time, you know, like you were warm saying, up. they warm up, like just that age, you know. spits all over them. Yeah. Hey, man, yeah, the grease of, uh, of you your are. fingers. Yeah, it's like 30 grease. years of, That's you know. the flavor, yeah, you know. For real. Hmm. So besides James Jamerson, is there un- other unsung heroes that, you know, you don't think 
get enough credit bass playing wise? Yeah, oh man, absolutely. Um, I mean, we know about Stanley Clark, Jaco Pastorius, those guys were a huge influence. Larry Graham too, now getting the prophecy deserves, you know. Um, but for, yeah, for me, like Michael Henderson is up there. Wow. Absolutely, man, Michael Henderson. Um, yeah, I got to tell our listeners, um, I believe, yes, this is definitely Michael Henderson. Um, if you buy the Stevie Wonder Talk of the Town like, yeah, like live London. in London, that's his, I believe that's his work on um, that version of I Was Made to Lover, where he's just, he's just ungodly. Like, that and, to me. And his solo albums, like Going Places. Oh, yes. Yeah. The bass playing on that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Wait, I'm so glad. Get out of here. I know why we're laughing. <laughs> right, right, right. I know why we're laughing, but. <laughs> yeah, we're not messing around with that. No, it's, right. no, it's good to hear someone <laughs> speak of. Yeah. Going places where I praise because oh I love that we have a different man. going oh, yeah, places nah, story places, yeah. oh shit that's a jam though all right so what was your first gig uh, as a professional like your first session gig first what session led gig. up to that yeah, yeah okay yeah it was at Rockfield Studios in Monmouth in Wales quite a famous studio a lot of a lot of great records were done there over the years but that was my first session and my friend was playing keys in a show band. When I say show band, they would do everything from Glenn Miller to like the Boney M to whatever pop was in the charts, you know. Right. Like, right. So they were in the studio for, for some reason, I don't know why, and I just went down to hang. And the bass player in the band, you know, they wanted like some slap and pop bass, mm -hmm. and the bass player they had wasn't familiar with that style. And I happened to be there. So my friend told the, the musical director, and uh, he's like, would you, would you try playing this bass line? So that was the first time I put a pair of headphones on in the studio and played with a band, and, and I just loved it, man. I couldn't believe it. How old were you? 19, maybe. Oh, okay. We, we know of you, well, okay, I guess Paul Young. Was, well, was Jules Holland first? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Jules Holland got me to move down to London. Okay. So he offered so, me a. Well, let me explain. Was Jules was Jules Holland in Squeeze? Right, he was originally in Squeeze first, correct? Yeah, yeah. He had just before he became Squeeze. a talk show host. Before he had his yes. solo thing with the the Millionaires. Yeah, Jules, Jules Holland, Holland Millionaires. And millionaires. And so, and then I, the talk show came much later, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, what was that experience like playing? How long did you play with him? Oh, I, I played with Jules for probably like a year, eighteen months, or something like that. There's a great album cover. That in the Pino, car that pino's on yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was fun man i love those days that was fun days and 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 um so playing with jules i was just playing my fender bass and i went down to audition in london because the sax player in jules's band i knew him in cardiff and he said jules is looking for a bass player mm -hmm. so i went down to london and audition um just sat in his room and played with him followed the left hand piano thing you know the boogie woogie mm -hmm. kind of piano thing and we hit it off and he said you know, why don't you just uh, join the band? I'll pay you fifty pound a week. You can sleep on my couch. So that's how I moved to London. <laughs> what year <Wow>. is this? <laughs> Nineteen eighty-one. Okay, so was that a good living? Oh, financially? Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> but okay. it, was, it was okay. It was okay. I, I survived on it. I always ask this question. I never get like a satisfactory answer. Which you know, I'm just trying to time travel and also deal with the inflation part of it all. Like yeah. I want to know. In 81, in well, your mind, what is a good living? Like, what would have been ideal for you? Is it 500 pounds a week? Not even. Like, you know, 200. I would, I would have been happy with 200 a week back then. I would have thought I was doing really well. Yeah. 
So what does 50 pounds a week get you in London 81. in terms of like, are you just crashing in a room and a couch? Back in, yeah, back in. It, it was Hardly just, eating? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, well, Jules' mom used to cook for us, bless her. <laughs> that was nice. But yeah, no, not, not a very healthy diet. You know, packet of cigarettes, some weed, you know, <laughs> usual thing. A normal no, diet, musician's diet. Much All the food groups, <laughs> yeah. As far as touring is concerned, like, did, you also had to tour this unit, correct? Yeah, we toured. Oh, this year, did you say sorry? No, no, no. With, with Jules, with, back with Jules, in the day. Yeah. yeah, we did some touring. That's my first tour of America, actually, in New York. Really? Uh, yeah, we did a tour of the East Coast, just traveling up and down in Miles Copeland's van. Miles Copeland was a manager back Stewart's in Stewart's brother, right? Yeah, manager of the police. Okay. Was he also the manager of Jules? Jules yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. so we did a little touring with that. We released one record that didn't do too well. Um, nice album cover. But what? Yeah, exactly. But whilst I was in New York, I went into Sam Ash Music on 48th Street. Mm -hmm. where all the great music stores were back in the day, right? That's and I walked in there and I saw this music man, Fretless Bass, on the wall. And I was like, oh, I'd like to try that. So I asked the guy if I could try it and I played it and I could, I could play it in tune, you know, it just, it, it really suited me, that bass. So I bought that bass there and then. And that was the bass, that, that, the bass? that led to all the, the Fretless sessions that I got to do after that. So it's such an uh, unusual sound than what you were previously playing on. Yeah. Was there any convincing Paul Young or Chris DeBarge? I always say Chris DeBarge. Chris DeBurg. Chris DeBurg. Chris DeBurg. Like, was there any, or not even them, like their producers or? You know how that all came about in me. Um, whilst I was with Jules, I got a call from a friend of mine, Chris Slade, who was a drummer at the time with Gary Newman. He went on to play with ACDC and a whole bunch of stuff and played with Tom Jones back in the early days. So this guy done incredible work. Wait, you're trying to tell me the same guy that played Cars with Gary Newman was also the guy that could have been playing on It's Not Unusual? Unusual. <laughs> not Cars, but the album after that. Uh, it's an album I was involved in called I Assassin by Gary Newman. Yeah, I, you know what? Here's, here's the weird thing. If you ask Wendy and Lisa about you know, the influential records. Like, it's so weird. They mention every album, but that, like, they'll mention I Assassin and the one For that real? came out in wow. 80. Like, if you listen to that, if you listen to the 82 record, the album that came after, Prince basically, like, it's kind of his newest star. You might have listened to that? Yeah. Oh, that that freaks me out. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. So, so yeah, this guy, Chris Slade, he, he phoned me up whilst I was with Jules Holland. He said, look, I'm working with Gary Newman. He's looking for a fretless bass player. Do you have a fretless? And I said, well, as it happens, I just bought one in New York <laughs> just a few months ago, you know. Um, he said, well, bring the fretless and, and, you know, let's see how it goes. So I went to the studio, met Gary. He had a bunch of uh, tunes, like just drum beats and really minimal kind of keyboard things. Mm -hmm. And he just wanted me to do some fretless shit all over the record. So that album became my calling card in a way because I got to make up all my own bass lines. So people heard that and then... Yeah, the, you know, I got on top of the pops with Gary, which was a big thing at the time. And, you know, the sound was pretty fresh because it didn't sound like Jacko's sound, but it was fretless. Mm -hmm. Probably a cross between like Jacko and Mick Khan. You know, Mick Khan from uh, Japan, the band Japan. I'm not familiar with the work, no. Yeah, so he played fretless bass and he had a unique style. Um, so I, I, I would put myself somewhere in the middle of that, like with jazz references, but also like arty style of bass playing. Right. Um, Pino, how do you approach? Construction of fretless bass lines versus fretted. 
Is it a different approach? Do you think about it yes. differently? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. In what sense? Um, well, the way I would approach it on a fretless bass is more from a melodic yeah. sense, you know, just trying to find melodies and because it's a very expressive instrument, right? There. I'm going to try to spell this word and I'm going to figure out what this means. And fretless? I'm a musician oh, fret, like the oh, rest oh, of y'all. Oh, oh. All right, so a fretless. We're okay. out here, right? So you, you've seen a bass player before, right? In terms of like the, the part that they play with their left hand? Mm, okay. A fretless bass, I would say, is the sound of, like, you know the difference between an electric, the, what Adam Blackstone plays, mm -hmm. and an upright that Christopher McBride plays, yes. like the jazzier sound? Mm -hmm. A fretless can give you the sound of an upright jazz. Am I, am I incorrect? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you don't have any frets, so you can just slide the notes, you know? Ah. It's a different, and it's a different envelope to the note. It's a different shape to it's the note. It's Lady in Red. You know that song? Yeah. That's the sound of the fretless bass. Okay. You don't know Lady in Red. Guess like Lady in Red. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, yeah. yeah. We know your work, Peter. That. That's amazing. But now, wait, now you got me curious about... Assassin? Should have just said Assassin, assassin right? Assassin. Assassin. Woman in Red and fucked so, all of them. like, we take mystery to bed. That's one of the titles. I remember that. Yes. Uh, what else? That's a lot of notes, Pino. <laughs> that's like more notes than usual. Oh, yeah, that's cool. So let me ask you, do you respect, and I just seen them two weeks ago, do you respect, uh, oh boy. John Taylor. John Taylor. Yeah. Sure, man. Yeah, yo, he was killing. He played All right, that. so I saw the at uh, Red Rocks. They're on tour with Nile Rogers right now. You guys should really see them. Like, they're they're still in top form. Uh, I believe it, it feels like some of those songs on the Rio album are also fretless I don't think so, but you know, well, maybe I'm not familiar with that album actually, but but I think it was more a sonic thing back in the '80s because it, you didn't you didn't play bass bass, right? There wasn't much bottom end bass mm -hmm. on it, and you would probably play your bass track in the control room, uh, you know, when everything else had already been put down. So you're going for a more kind of um, you know a sound that's going to pop out of the speakers. You don't really have to support, like play play support bass. Can you play upright bass? No, not at all. Have you touched an upright bass? I've touched it. I love it, but I can't play it. It's, it's a different instrument altogether. Really? Yeah. So just gun to your head if you like. <laughs> oh no! I tried to do a gig on it, and I I was my hand was so painful after like one gig. You know, one song. Really? It's such a physical thing. It's a different, different thing. muscles. Well, this what I play is like a guitar, right? It's a right. bass, but it's a bass guitar. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole different. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. So what steps are in between Newman and Paul and Chris DeBert? Like oh, what yeah, steps that's are the, in between? Uh, so Newman... That led to Paul Young in a way because, you know, Paul and his producers got to hear those Newman records and, and imagine that sound on mm-hmm. the record he was making. And then, like Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd, I did his solo record. That was a big, big one for me. Just really? To, just to get a call from him and, you know, I want you to come and do this album with me in Paris. I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Mm-hmm. So for you, is Lady in Red sort of like the, the, wake, the world's wake-up call, like, get that guy? It might have been, but I think more the Paul Young stuff. Because Chris, okay. Chris came to me from Paul Young, Chris DeBerg. Yeah, because right. everyone kind of wanted that sound for a minute, that fretless sound. So at some point, did you say, I don't want to be pigeonholed into this sound? And uh... Much later on, I took it happily for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. man, we're making $50 a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it went for a, for a good while. You yeah. know? Um, but it did, get, it did get a little tiresome yeah, after a while because... You know, when people want you to do what you did, not what you're going to do, it's a, it's a different thing, right? That was a freaking gym and a half. Wait, yeah. I gotta, I gotta yeah. register. Say that again. When people, well, you know, if if somebody calls you to do a session and and, and you're there because they want you to do what you've already done, that's different to what what you're going. What to you do. could do, you don't get a chance to do what you're going to do because they already decided the sort of thing they want. Because they're booking you off of past work, not where you where yeah. you may be artistically currently. Yes. So, your life must be hell after voodoo. Mm. <laughs> well, that that caused some trouble. Yeah, but, but you know that was the amazing thing about. Well, I met I met you and D on the same day, right? Right. Yeah. On a BB King session. Yes. And I didn't even know he was coming. You know, no idea. And I right. saw I saw you walk in with him and Russ Alvado, and I'm like, "What's going on here?" Anyway, anyway, the. Um, I lost my train of thought there, but um, well, if you causing problems, you say, hey. oh, yeah. fretless. Yeah. So, so D, you know, as you know, me and D hit it off from that session. Mm-hmm. He, he heard me playing. He's like, I like that sound. I want you to come. But the thing is, he knew nothing about my past. So I already had like a, a career before that, right? But he wasn't coming to me from what well, he know, knew you could do. Yeah, he's just like this dude. I like what he's doing, and uh, and and let's get together. But for you, was that um, was that exciting for you to kind of have the opportunity to reinvent yourself in a different way? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. did you know who or what D'Angelo was? Because it's not like we came. I mean, by that point, all we had was send it on. That's all we had. We had send it on. We didn't have. Oh, I see. Songwise, songwise. No, I, I had heard um, Brown Sugar. Okay, so you knew about him through Brown Oh, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know the whole album, the but game. I... I hit, do change yeah. the game. So what I knew was this was, this was two weeks. So I always, could, I always credit Voodoo's beginning the last day of Philadelphia Half-Life. So D'Angelo rushes to Philadelphia the one time he was on time. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> no, I'm playing uh, D. I'm playing yeah, D. Yeah, he, he like 
rushed to Philly when he got word that a you know a certain head wrapped lady was in our side of town uh-huh. uh working on a record. She down there? She down there? And I was like, yeah, but I almost feel like now that I look of it, it wasn't the excitement of like, oh, she's down there. Let me no, come and play. No. It was like, wait, she down there with y'all? She's saying at Tariq's crib. What? <laughs> that moment, uh, I, don't give away all the sauce. It's the first and the last time <laughs> that motherfucker was like an hour early. Ugh. Like I didn't even ask him to come. He's like, I'm here. So that to me was like the first day of voodoo. We knocked the hypnotic out for our record, and then we had like time to kill, and we were just like, all right, let's let's start playing. So we we had to test each other to see what our knowledge was and whatever. And it's like, okay, we're we're gonna get along famously because I had told you that I judged him. I look at it. I looked at his Timberlands, and they were like worn down. Right, and I judged him, and Bob Power's trying to sell me on this guy. Like, yo, Bob Chap- Bob Power wants me to drum on shit, damn motherfucker. Mm. He's like, yo, there's a guy that I think, I think you'll love him, man. He's like the next Al Green. Da da da. And by then, I was just like, uh, R and B, this sucks. You know, yeah, I yeah. hate R and B. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I wanted soul and not R and B. And I looked at him. He just walked in, and because the the, the tongue of his Tim's was Wasn't just standing up, it was okay. it was leaning. Right, I was like, ah, no, man, this, this guy's corny. So I purposely like, uh, you know, I'm going, I'm hanging with my dad for Christmas. I can't do it. So I'm not on brown sugar <laughs> for that reason. But then also, Ron Carter didn't want to play on a song called "Shit Damn Motherfucker," so they decided wow. to go. They tried the, to get Ron. So Ron Carter was going to play bass on "Shit Damn Motherfucker," oh and I was going to drum on it. Amazing. And also, Bob Power was trying to get a twofer. Uh, the drama song on Baduism was oh, one of the first wow. songs that Bob Power worked on. So me and Ron were supposed to do, we did drama, wow. but he's like, I refuse to play on a song with that title. I will never play on a song called that. He would never call it shit damn yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. So oh, my goodness. Bob Power was just like, all right, I'll, I'll do the demo. So the thing was, day two, we rented out Battery Studios mm-hmm. uh, to work on Bitch, right? And then D was just like, ah, the vibe's not right, man. Like, I, you know, so for some reason, they were like, yo, we're going to the house of Hendrix. Like, we need a new studio. So then we go to work at Electric Lady for a week. Right. This is with Russ, too, right? Yes. Yeah. We're Russ, who famously, <laughs> they had to have an intervention talk with me. Because my whole thing was like, I know my sound. I know my EQs, whatever. And Russ was just very quiet, so he just like sat in the corner. I thought Russ was like D's boy. I didn't know Russ was the master. Right. And so after like four days, like D and D's man just pulled me to the side, like, yo, man, like, you know, you you know, Russ is the engineer. Just let him do what he do. And at first I was like, what does this guy know about like my sound? Like, cause I wanted to craft. Totally. I didn't want to sound like And rightfully too. Right. I I had no idea Russ was the master. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we we worked for about a week, and then I came on a Sunday to work again. And D's like, "Yo, we got to go to Power Place, uh, Power, Station Power Station Studios, and work with um, BB BB King real quick." And I'm like, "Well, am I drumming on things?" He's like, yeah, I'm gonna get you drum on it, but you know, the, yeah, like, yeah, 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 <laughs> Steve's yeah. already like Steve Jordan. So once Steve Jordan was there, then next thing I knew, me and Angie were just babysitting Little Mike. That's right. Right. I remember. So, all right. I'm babysitting Lord. I'm asleep while y'all like working on this song for like, what, two, three hours? Yeah. And D comes into me, wakes me up. He's like, yo, man. He's like, yo, 
that white boy is the shit. <laughs> I was like, huh? He said, That's yo, you funny. don't understand. He's going to be part of our army, man. He knows what he's doing. Wow. Now, I was telling him, like, yo, man, but, you know, what about, um, we had just gotten, um, what's his name? Uh, he did the root in Spanish joint. Um, uh, Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, he was all going, <sighs> in my mind, I'm like, no, dude, it's Charlie Hunter. Like, let's stick with him. Let's see. He says, yo, man. Bass player is just next level, and I couldn't imagine because it's not like I knew of Jay Dilla sound like that. Right. So that wasn't even a comparison. Yes. Like now you'd be like, yo, yo, he plays just like Dilla thinks. Like that we, wasn't even that. That, that wasn't that wasn't even our vernacular. And that, for the life of me, and I went in and looked, and I just saw this like six foot seven giant, and was just like, yo. There's no way you're going to convince me this guy is the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever you say. <laughs> and then I played oh with him. Oh, my God. So it's, right, it's right. yeah, man, it's for real. Like, he, the way he described you was, like, urgent. Like, he was gasping for the last breath of his life. And I was, like, for the life of me, did I wish I'd known what happened in that session. Like, what? how many takes did y'all do of Nobody's Home? Not many. Maybe two. But, you know... Um, there was an immediate connection as soon as we literally, second verse of that song where D took the lead. Uh -huh. He was playing, I think he was playing piano and took the lead. Yeah. And he took the lead and I'm playing, I'm like, damn, he sounds so good. And it kind of informed me, you know, like all of a sudden I was like, man, I can do, yeah. And I just went for some shit, you know. Hearing his voice inspired me to try some Jameson style, you know, walking around a little bit more, playing some busy, busy bass stuff. And and I and I felt him react to that immediately. Something happened on that tune, but that was BB King too. Wow! You know, BB made that happen. Do you now run into musicians that just insist that you play draggy or behind the beat or those things? Or there was a little bit of that, but not much. And the thing is, you know as well as I do, that shit don't work. It only works in the right environment. When we're all together. And, and for me, the right environment is me, you, and D. Mm -hmm. And if Spanky was still alive, he, he isn't, but Sharky. Um, it, I mean, there's such a profound understanding of what that is, but we couldn't put it into words, right? It, it's, it's like a microsecond management thing when you're playing. It's just the feel happens. It, it took a big to, to adjust to, because I think even for me, I saw this as my chance to escape the the what i thought in my head was gonna be like the claws of the roots mm. like okay well we're not clearly we're not going to make a mark on our own music so this might be an every man for himself thing right right you started to stray a little and think well it's not like i was like all right let me plant my flag elsewhere to see if i can get out there like it wasn't like the self-promotion thing but it was also like i was just paranoid that the way that he wanted me to play, huh. like I was intrigued by the Jay Dilla shit, but I'm like, yeah. wait, you want me to act like I'm a drunk three-year-old and, you know. <laughs> well, it's a challenge, right? To try and sound like you can't play it. Right, but I'm yeah. thinking, I'm like, oh man, Lil John's gonna laugh at me and this drummer's gonna laugh at yeah. me and this drummer's gonna laugh at me. And so it took, it took me a good maybe two weeks to get used to, because you got D's thing instantly. Yeah. And I didn't know who to follow because you drag behind, but then he really drags behind you. And I'm trying to figure out, like, well, where do I fit in 
between you guys. So right. it it took like a good two weeks to. But when that shit really kicks off, I mean, I mean, you're, I mean, you're playing, you're on time, if not on time, in front of time. That rhythmic tension, right? We never talked about it deeply before, but that's what it feels like to me. Because if I'm trying to play that stuff and and a drummer will start to slow down with you, right? Right. Then it's not working. It has to have that tension. It's got to have like, pull. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a so Amir's on top, you're behind, and D's okay. somewhere in the middle? Oh. Yeah, we're pretty, we're both behind. Me and D. <laughs> but but, but Quest will, will also come in. You know, he'll join us on some things, like it might be a little nod on the hi-hat, or one kick drum will be misplaced. Uh-huh. Just enough to. Yeah, enough yeah, to. Yeah, D wants me to, like, my hi-hat always has to be, like, one of my three things, either my kick, my snare, or my hi-hat has to be consistent. Yes. And then I have to divide half my brain to drag this in another way, mm. but still keep this consistent. Mm. But then playing with D'Angelo and Pino, D'Angelo gets the sort of gets the the glory position of either playing right on top of the thing mm-hmm. or really dragging. Right. And before when he would drag, I'd go with him, mm-hmm. and he would stop the song like, "No, no, don't go with Stay me. Stay where you at. Stay where you at." And I'm just like, "Wait, dude! Like, I have my own problems in trying to figure out which limb goes which speed." <laughs> and then this guy's like slightly behind me, but I could deal with that. But you are really throwing me off. Uh-huh. So it really took it took ten hours, and we, you know we'd spend anywhere between six to twelve hours consistently playing. So I just yeah. consider before that the tour, Amir. Y'all, you talking before y'all even hit the stage? No, no, no. This is just this is the just voodoo the album. album. Okay. This is in yeah, yeah just because it seemed like at some point just watching y'all during that time and watching Amir because we shouldn't make note that like I don't recall a time in your career where you've done what you did before Voodoo like you paused stuff and it seems like when y'all got on stage all everybody Anthony and Hamilton backgrounds everybody included it was like spiritual yes right I oh, think because we all came one at a time like first it was D then it was yeah. D and me then it was us three and then we brought James Poyser in and then it's almost like you have to bring, and then Spanky started coming. So it was almost, you had to do a one at a time thing. And that person had to figure out like, Wait, when the cross right. 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 here I go. What is going on here? Yeah. But when y'all all figured it out, it must've felt like y'all were moving as one at some point, right? Like That's exactly right. Yeah, it's the most, it's, yeah, I mean, the Soultronics when we had Roy in the band. No and, man, yo, y'all's, uh, yeah, I still have, crazy. I'm sure it's out now, the um, Live in Stockholm. The Angelo the Voodoo. I think that's a bootleg. That's bootleg. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It is. I've cleaned my house so many times with that album. Man, y'all, man, I love that record. No, but that is so rare. That is so rare. Let me tell you. But the funny thing was, right? You got to remember back when we were doing this. I was already 40, 41, right? So I knew you're still 41 to me. Yes, you are. You know. Yes, you are. No, but the the non-black doesn't crack. Oh, whales don't fail. There you go. There you go. I'm gonna step off the mic for a minute. All right, all right, all right. you can talk now. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah, that sort of thing is so rare, and that was the first time I'd been in great bands before, but it's the first time I'd experienced that kind of feeling. Um, and and as I say, I was in my 40s at the time. So, f- you know, when we got together in a rehearsal room with a full band before the tour, and I heard that band playing, I was like, these guys don't know. 
these guys do not know what I know because you couldn't have had enough experience to know how special that was. Did you have a favorite night on the voodoo tour? No, I just, no, I don't. Every I night? Every night. I had, yo, man, for me, ah, I hate, I hate saying the story. The Minneapolis show. I don't remember it particularly. He, all right, so I blame John Perales for this. So John Perales, who's always been kind of a, a playful thorn in Prince's side since, like, him and Prince are the same age. He started writing in Minneapolis at the same time Prince came up. So he's kind of been, like, the one consistent local Min Minneapolis writer that, you know, that Prince would sort of, you know, artists claim, like, oh, I never read my reviews or whatever. But clearly, sure. like, you know. And but he was also not afraid to tell the truth and be like, nah, I'm, I'm not feeling this and that, that, that you're phoning in and whatever. So, you know, it's it's 99 and Voodoo comes out and John Perales decides to like kind of just write a Rolling Stone. A, a mock. No, no. This for the local Minneapolis thing. Like oh, a, this mean, OK. Not not a mock obituary, but basically like a prince. To prince. You're you're. Your number's up, wow. and there's a new king in town, that oh, sort of thing. No, Which, wild. you know, as far as I'm concerned, both Voodoo and Black Messiah were always love letters to our hero. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it... Is that what made Prince do Rainbow Children? Yeah, well, no, just the, the You Make My Sunshine thing, and yeah, uh, yeah, that as well. Yeah, yeah. So mm. the thing was, I knew he felt some sort of way, but it was also so undeniably funky that he couldn't deny it himself. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'll give you this one. Like, this has to be life changing funk for me to. So when the show came to town, you know, Perales was at it again. Like, I've been hearing reports that this is the show of the year. <laughs> Don King got this. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And so, ah, and so, of course, he summons for us to come to Paisley Park the night before. The this night before the show. The night before the show. Sabotage. Yeah. <laughs> right. I did uh, not know man. this. Nah, I, ain't, I ain't got it. Uh, nope, tomorrow. So I ain't got to. it. Yeah. I, I should have known better. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's it's like, hey, it's our hero. We're going to hang out with our hero. So we get to Minneapolis. We get there like midnight. And Alan Lees was actually like, mm, y'all going out there? I was like, yeah, well, you know, he, he operates between 1 a.m. and 6 in the morning. So let's do it. So Robbie, the driver, yeah. comes to get us at, at three in the morning, and we go out there, and I should have known better. Yeah, he was first thing he came in. So how does it feel, huh? Oh God! Oh, oh wow! He, I hey. can see it. I can see it. <laughs> and so we were just like, hey, that's cute. Yeah, man, it feels like me. But nah, I'm just playing. I'm playing. I'm no, playing. you ain't. <laughs> no. Right, right. Was, yeah. was he on his own? Was he, or did he have like? He was okay. So the weird thing was, he was. Um, I believe at the time he was working on what we call the new Power Soul record, mm -hmm. and you know he's blasting music, whatever, and something. What year? So what year is this? This is two thousand. This 2000, is June yeah. of two thousand. Okay. And so we're walking down, you know, all the hallways of Paisley Park are super dark, and of course, it's like these lifestyles murals of him. So it feels like Three Stooges where, you know, the controversy, this, this painted controversy cover, and you swear to God that the eyes are watching you as you go for it. Because they are, right. Right, right. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Scooby-Doo shit. Yes, and I right. stopped D, and I stopped D, and I heard the song, and I'm just like, I said, oh, boy. And he's like, what? 
I said, um, so, you know, by that point, and I've made it clear to many Prince.org fans that I am a 78 to 88 Prince person, anything outside of that. Yes, I love him as an artist, but this is my era. Mm -hmm. And I've been very vocal about like his patches and I don't like the new keyboards he uses and his drum machines. And of course, he's playing some loud song and whatever. It was okay. No, oh, the cameras are watching me, so my face. <laughs> yeah, I forget that I'm not on radio anymore. Yeah. And so, I was just like, let's wait it out until the fade comes on, because I don't want to. I don't want to have to do demo face. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> when you like some, sh when you don't like some shit, That's you're hard. like that. And so, like right when the song was fading, then we like walked in, and you know, again, I I, I failed. I was like, hey, who? What you? What's this? What you working on? He's like some some new funk. <laughs> Like whatever, like uh, he's like. destroy you. Anyway, so yeah, he like went through the whole thing and tried to be like, don't trust Alan Leeds and you know this guy's bootlegging me, that guy bootlegging me. He's gonna bootleg you and steal your money and da 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 and da 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 da. And he would leave, and D and I would just look at each other like. What's going on here? Is I just he... wanted to ask you some questions about 1999. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And it, you know, then we like went to play, like we went in the room to jam a little bit and that wasn't working. Cause the thing was like, we had such a musical synergy and yes. then to play with someone normal, which is weird because Prince right. is anything but normal. Yeah. But, but, but even so, doesn't translate. Right. And so that was weird. And man, like we just, wow. we left. So we asked him, he's like, so are you going to come to the show tomorrow? Like, will you come? And he's like, no, I got to go to, I'm going to go to Marrakesh. And, you know, I said, wait, you, you, you're going to miss our show? Like, this is, our show's dedicated to you, like, Holy. everything. And he's like, no, <laughs> we just, uh, I'm, I got to go to, to Marrakesh. And that's that. He never went to Marrakesh. <laughs> but... Peasants. You know, he, he he had all the spies in the thing, and you know, right. Larry Graham infamously left during shit. Damn motherfucker! Yes, I hear that too. Wow, wow. that's so man. <laughs> like he got up and left, and like went out there, and it came back when the show was over. Ron Carter left too. Right, <laughs> he did not like that time. And all I remember was there was a moment during the encore where I think suddenly D went from bewilderment to anger, like. Mm. It's like D woke up and realized, like, yo, man, I think he was trying to punk us last night. <laughs> On stage. Like, like, suddenly, like, it suddenly, hit. Yeah. And you, you don't want to think that your hero doesn't wish you, you know, like, Absolutely. what do we do to this guy? And all I remember, man, was like, yo, man, we're going to get him. We're going to piss all on his carpet <laughs> and we did the most ungodly version of lady ever and eric came out and it was even to the point That's where right. the same schoolyard taunts that prince was telling paul peterson when he left the family like paul punk of the month paul punk of the month like oh, we started like kicking off p punk of the month like like <laughs> are, are, are we doing this you went from p punk of the month to Blah. To Prince Punk of the Month, like oh, literally wow. in his town. Yeah, and I then and then I had to get away. some phone calls like a week later. But for me, that was like that was like the best show we've ever done. All right, y'all. You know what season it is? Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app 
trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. I hope I asked enough voodoo questions for the fan base. Someone's going to yeah, get pissed. Somebody, yeah. Nah, man. Voodoo <laughs> was my first... I mean, it clearly was my first time hearing you, but, um, you know, for you hearing you say that you were like 40 at that time, mm -hmm. you know, I hope artists like that hear this, they understand, like, listen, yeah. that was my first time at Voodoo. I was, you know, 21, you know, 20, whatever. And like, that was my first time really hearing about Pino Palladino, you know what I'm saying? Right. So like you were, a, to me, you were a new guy. Right, that's you know what crazy. I'm saying? Yeah. In 2000, for, for that generation and for, yeah, yeah. My generation, for those music lovers, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, yeah a, that's a new me. <laughs> Straight up, but, yeah. yeah. Were you shocked at the kind of the heroes welcome that you got from the musician community? Yeah, totally. I mean, I was already kind of respected in in, in certain places, you know, in the music community, but yeah, to get the props at that point was really yeah, that was very exciting. Can you talk about how it was different in that way? Why was it different? Why did it feel different? Well, I guess because that's the music I really, really loved. And then I was like, I, you know, I was always like very conscientious about like it feeling right. You know, I wanted it to feel right. Um, and when I got to play with D and Quest in that band, then it was, I, I didn't even have to think about it. Mm. It just came through, you know, and that was beautiful. And then, ju yeah, just to have people say, wow, that, that shit sounds amazing. And yeah, it was great. So a notable night for me was the night that we were recording Aquarius for Common mm. in Philadelphia. And then we took a dinner break and then you got a phone call. Mm -hmm. And you said immediately, you said, wait, no one knows I'm here. Who's calling me? And you step outside the room to take the phone call and then you come back in. And he's like, guys, I have an announcement. So instantly I'm like, oh, damn, something happened to your family. Like, what, what's going on? And he's like, uh, John and Swizzle just died of the who, mm -hmm. and I have to go out and replace him. Like, I have wow. to leave right now. What kind Can of fucked up call is that? tell me? <laughs> That's the most fucked up call I've ever heard in my life. Okay, moving on. Pretty much and I right. never got to ask you this question, because what I do know is that you had to learn 
41 songs? I, I don't remember the amount, but there wasn't a set list. It was just learn, you know, like CDs like this. And that wow. guy plays like, all the notes. Yeah. So, one, what was your Who IQ before that phone call? Wow. I probably knew uh, four or five songs. Oh, wait. I wasn't expecting that. I thought you at least were going to say like four or five records. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. So you kind of knew nothing about the Who at that point? I, yeah, I bought some of the records when I was a kid. I bought Won't Get Fooled Again. And then I, I remember uh, Can't Explain, My Generation, the big hits, but I really wasn't familiar with their albums. Um, for some reason, I just, I, I, I missed that stuff. You know, I was, a, I was a big Led Zeppelin fan and I was into like progressive rock like yes yeah. and and and, uh, and folk music and stuff like that so somehow I missed most of the who albums. have you and getty lee just you've been yeah have you and getty ever like i met him actually yeah but where? yeah but uh uh not that familiar with with a lot of the rush albums out there so they send a plane to you they sent a plane to Philadelphia, correct? No, no, I had to get a, a regular plane. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought they just did the bells and whistles on you. So, what was? Can you do you remember what that week was like? Because I still, for the life of me, don't understand why they just didn't hold off on like a week's worth of shows. Like, I'm sure the fan base will understand. John just died, yeah. but they were like, "No, we're still going on stage." Well, the story I heard was that they wanted to cancel the tour. You know, there, there was so much gonna that, that was riding on it. They, I guess they were thinking financially and all financially the crews. You know, um, having committed the time to it, they wanted to be able to pay everyone. So the story I heard, uh, I can't remember from who, but um, the story I heard was that Pete said to the manager, "What's Pino doing? If you can get Pino, then we can carry on," which is pretty incredible. So Pete had confidence in me. Um, I guess he knew me as a session player because I'd worked with him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, so that's that's how it went. And, and the manager phoned me up and said, look, you hear that John has passed away. Um, I think it was Wednesday. He said, we got a gig in Hollywood Bowl on Saturday. I need a yes or no. You said yes. Yeah, I mean. So yeah. what's, like, describe your cheat sheet. Describe your, like, how do you commit all that to memory? Yeah, I did have a couple of cheat sheets. Just, just, I mean, nothing that anyone else would have understood. Can you read? No. Wow. What? Can you read chord charts? Yeah, I can follow chord charts. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've got better at it over the years, but I, I really try not to. I, I trust my ear. Cool. I've always we were trusted talking about my this before. Ear. Just yeah. trust your ear. People born blessed with good ears, man. Wow. Yeah, there's some musicians that go by feel and some musicians that go by technical that sort of thing yeah and both of those ways will work you know there are players that can do both there are players that can read whatever you put in front of them and can also improvise but but i can't read it <laughs> so by that night by saturday night what's going through your head like are you just cramming 24 7 are you going to sleep to the yeah, songs well, and... i had like really i had one day and one night and i just was up for 24 hours just literally headphones bass just trying to Go through as many songs as I could. You know? What was the hardest song to do to, to figure out? Well, there there wasn't one song that was really hard technically because I didn't try and play what John was playing. I couldn't have played a lot of those bass lines because his technique was so unique. I couldn't I couldn't do it. So 
But Pete told me straight away when I got there, he said, just learn as much as you can. And, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want you to be John. I want you to be you. So that gave me, that freed me up a little bit. But having said that, there's so many iconic bass lines on, on, on Who songs that I did have to learn, uh, you know, a lot of it notes. notes so eventually, it. once you settled into the group, then they realized that. The, but is it iconic bass lines in terms of like, like he does this on the fourth bar? Or yeah, just, yeah. And they, muscle memory, they expected to hear those notes. And, kind of, yeah. And there are things that you, if you didn't have them in the song, you really wouldn't, it wouldn't sound like a song like melodic lines and stuff. And the Who fans in the front row would be miming to the bass lines as well. So they know all the stuff. No pressure. Yeah, but I wouldn't <laughs> be playing it a lot of the time. <laughs> so how long did it take for you to actually get a place of muscle memory? Like, okay, I got this. Yeah, I mean, I had it on the first night. <laughs> I, pretty mu I pretty much knew. I pretty much, once we, we'd done the show, I was like, okay, it's going to be fine. Wow. Okay. Okay. Are you still with the Who? It, like I don't know what they're. Yeah, they're still playing, but I stopped touring with them in 2016. Okay. Yeah, but, I, but was it hard to walk away from that? It was. Yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah, because I'd been there a long time. I'd been touring with them for 14 years. So when you commit to them, and I know they're not a 24/7 touring unit. Is it the thing where it's like, okay, we have you on retainer to always be available? No, no, they don't do that shit. You just get gig to gig. Yeah. But what if you, what if you decided to tour with the D'Angelo again? And, yeah, right. It, they would. Well, have you had that problem. I did. Yeah, yeah. I I had taken on uh, some Who shows. I didn't want to let those guys down, and then D suddenly put some shows in that I couldn't do. Yeah. So, uh, but that all worked out. Of course it did. You had to raise your own Pino. Yes, I yeah, did. Who's Pino when he's not there? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> who's Pino when he's not there? No, who is Pino when he's Rocco, not there? Rocco. Rocco Palladino. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, you best believe. Oh, and yeah. I hate to say this, but goddamn. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for real. Word. But he's your son, so I don't think you'll get offended. But goddamn. Wow. How old, how old is your son, man? He's 31. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. That's dope. Nah, dog. Rocco is um, currently drumming with... Um, Ah, he's playing with Yusef Days. Yes, Yusef. Oh, but he's also he, he killed uh, the picnic, yo. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, That's yeah. A great he came band. to the picnic and killed. It's a great band. Dope. But Rocco's here now. Actually, he's playing. I'm um, Fabiano. My daughter, my oldest daughter, is also playing in the band. This guy called J Paul. J A I. Yeah. Paul. Yeah. Wow. So Wait. they're playing tonight. J Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Fabiano and Rocco are playing with him at the moment. He's playing at the Mayan tonight. This is so and weird. The thing is, is like those are kind of, I mean, maybe not as much J Paul, but definitely Yusuf. Those are all kind of the children of Voodoo. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think wow. so. And, and I think so with Jay as well. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm definitely know? inspired by that stuff. That is crazy. So is I crazy. remember meeting your kids when they were like. <laughs> they were at Radio City when we played in 2000. You know, Rocco was like six or something. I wonder, like, did they pay attention? Oh, yeah. You think so? Yeah. That, I didn't that's what happened to Rocco. So for him, seeing that show, Radio City Music Hall? I think definitely that. And also just being around me when, when I was doing that music. Yeah, now Rocco is, like Rocco plays with D'Angelo. That's how good Rocco Palladino is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, wow. That's just. How many children do you have? 
Yeah, um, Fabiana, my oldest, is a keyboard player, songwriter, singer-songwriter. She has a record coming out soon. And then uh, Giancarla is also very musical, but she actually doesn't work in the music business. Okay. And then Rocco does work in the music business, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm so lucky. How do you divide your... Now that you're your own planet and you're not just like, you know, just a I musician. Just a session musician, yeah. Right. So, like, at what point did you decide to establish your brand and do these, like, records and all those? Yeah, that pretty much came through um, to around about 2018, I suppose, that when, that when we started recording the first record. I'd done um, an album with John Legend with Blake Mills producing. I didn't know you were on that record. Yeah, well, and Chris okay. too. Yeah, he called me and Chris to play on that record, and that's how I met Blake. Yeah, that's that's such a it's weird living in kind of in the non uh, what do you call it non tangible record way. Yes, where I don't read credits anymore. I just oh, listen to it on Spotify. Totally, so man. I know when I was going through your history, I'm like, wait, you're on that? You're on that? Yeah, I didn't realize that's you were on that record. Funny. Okay, so talk about your work with the drumheads and. Because you guys are just on a whole nother level of musicianship. Well, that's with Chris uh, and Sharky and yeah, I mean that's crazy. I mean Chris, as you know, played with D. I think you recommended him for that when you could yeah, do it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's where um, Chris met Sharky, and me and Chris and Sharky would hang and hit it off. Obviously, then to cut a long story short, we were on the 2012 tour with D, mm -hmm. and Chris had a gig at the billboard live in tokyo mm -hmm. and, and we were going to take pookie with us right the keyboard player mm -hmm. and uh and a horn player i can't remember who it was but anyway the day before we were due to fly out after the after the uh the tour with d uh pookie said he couldn't make it so we lost the keyboard player and then we lost the horn player he pulled out too so it was just me sharky and chris and, and we had to fly out to japan and we played like three nights at the Billboard Live. So that was the, the start of the drumhead shit, mm -hmm. really. And we just played as a trio, which is what we went back to at the Blue Note recently. Now, is it intimidating playing in a combo that doesn't have a lead singer or doesn't have someone for you to hide behind? It's different, now? But yeah. I love it. I love it, especially with that lineup, because it's, it's unique. We're, we play so many different styles of music, and... Well, you know, Chris is just unbelievable. Uh, all yeah. kinds of weird and wonderful stuff can come from him. I, I've, it's my guess that you are the anchor of Definitely. that unit because when I last saw you guys at the Blue Note, you were the one that was tapping your foot constantly. Like, you tap your foot and your chin goes up and down. Yes. And so I realized, like, okay, so you give Chris the freedom to do what he wants to do and you have to keep that in your head. So you're the anchor of it. it. I don't know if it's confusing for me. It has to be crazy for you to keep counting all those things because Chris is such a radical yeah, yeah. rhythmatist. Um, and with that lineup too, you know, I feel like those two guys are the virtuosi. Mm -hmm. And that's never been my forte, you know. It's so so I, I, I like that place in the middle there, trying to, you know, enable, just enable the music so that they can do their thing. I mean, not not purely unselfish. I mean, I care about me too a little bit, but mm -hmm. but yeah, it's really interesting. And when Chris goes for some of that stuff, you know, you just have to be ready to go with it wherever it's going. Be very kind of uh, fluid and malleable, you know. It's a question I think fans would like to know. 
Have you ever had a session in which was like, whew, I gotta get through this? Like, in terms of complexity or or just a producer that is driving you to the limit? No, not really. I had one producer I won't mention the name of one time that okay. figured that if he kind of made me angry, I would play better. Yeah, that was kind of weird. So that people did, still do psychological games. Yeah, he's like, "What's the matter with you? Can't you do any better than that?" And I was like, "What?" What, you know, what Can I ask, was this the 80s, 90s, or 2000s? Yeah. or It was after Voodoo. Oh, oh a grown no. ass man and somebody's <laughs> trying to come right. 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 I fucked you up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ready to go out there yeah. and give her a fix. Like, wait, that's what you Wait, can I ask a question? Yeah. Including you, Steve. Like, on sessions like Voodoo, which are notoriously went on for years, like, does it become too, like, does it. Does the dragging out of it, does the frustration of that taking forever, does it become a thing or is it not? I, I've i never been in the studio that long in my life. <laughs> like, I, it just, you know, you read about it and it's right. just like, and we're we not allowed to talk about this? That's fine too. I don't no, know. No, I, no, no, no. I just, I'm, just, I'm fascinated. My answer is quick. You know, I will selfishly say that I have the best seat in the house. Fair. So I've never had a drought, a D'Angelo drought. And I feel bad for you people that only get your, you know, D'Angelo fix once every 10 to 20 years. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I still got shit on this computer that the world's never going to hear again. But, you know, I'm satisfied, but I also feel frustrated that it takes forever. But certainly worth it. But like, you know, it's weird in, in terms of preference, though. I like Black Messiah a little better. I don't know if it's wow. because it's last or whatever, but yeah. just like I have the time of my life with voodoo. Mm -hmm. But for me, there's something about the moments in catching till it's done. Yes. Or uh oh God. Especially oh God. Another the way life. the way we another life. You know, we did another life. Mm. Didn't we do that without planning? Yeah, you know, mm. I played on that later. You and D played on that. I Wait, but I, did, I feel like we went okay. So was it till it's done where we all had to do it together or some? We I played till it's done together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, to do, yeah. Another life is literally. It, it was just unplanned. It wasn't like, a, hey, what's that part? Okay, do we do that in twelve bars? It was just like that's crazy. He just started playing it, and then like, and I was like, okay, this should be like a bridge or something. Okay, I'm gonna do a turnaround for two bars, and he just like it. The, the synergy was was otherworldly. Well, you guys really have that. Yeah, we have to be cool. Because at the very beginning, in the very beginning, I think there was like unspoken tension there huh. that we didn't resolve for like four or five years. Yes. And the first thing he plays me is like Sugar Daddy. And it kind of in a, a taunting way. Not a uh. taunting way, <laughs> but it's almost like the ex-wife. Yeah, you know, yeah, I the, feel the, it. The, the, the husband showing you the new girlfriend to the ex-wife, and I'm like, how am I, how am I supposed to compete with James uh, Gatson? With James Gatson playing his lap. <laughs> yeah, and the story, yeah, the story of, of that is basically he was just all right, play me the song, and he's like just sitting there like that, like okay, so I'll do that and then all right, let's roll it, and they're like, no, we got it. He's like, no, 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 I was I was hitting my leg. And he's like, no, no, that was perfect. And well, I, I tell you what really happened there. Yeah. It's something like that. But James was just uh, drum checking. Right. He was just drum tracking, playing a bass drum and a hi hat and tapping his legs like that. And D said, keep playing that, James, keep playing that. Right. And just then, fell into it by accident. I found a bass. I just went, dump, 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 dump. 
Right. And then literally, I'm like, how am I supposed to compete with that shit? And so. Yeah, but your thing is so unique, Amir, too. Betray My Heart. We recorded that song in 1997. Yeah. Do you right. realize that? 1997, before Voodoo. Right. I remember. So Brought that one back to life. So. Yeah. Steve, any uh, Pino moments? Bacon? Oh, man. I did want to ask you about. You were part of the uh, one of the Simon and Garfunkel uh, reunion yes. tours, or maybe it was just a show or two at the Garden or something. I'm not. Re I can't remember. No, you didn't invite tour. me to that right. one. Yeah, you, but, it was uh, a whole tour. 2000 and what was it? Five or something? Yeah. So what was that like to work with with Paul and I mean to be in such a <laughs> weird kind of setting? I mean, and those bass lines are also very iconic. Absolutely. Was that so, Carol Kay who did a lot of that stuff um, originally? Maybe she did some of it. Um, Joe Osborne. All right. Was the was the LA session guy back in back in the days and did a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Only living boy in New York, you know that iconic bass line. That's oh, true. man. Yeah. So was that a fun gig or? It, it really was. It was amazing for me because I the, the Simon and Garfunkel album with Cecilia. I came uh, Bridge Over Trouble Water. Yeah, that album was so big for me when I was before I even knew I was going to be a musician. Right. So to come around full circle and get to play live with those guys was and incredible. The bass, yeah, they they. The bass lines were so kind of Pino-ish in, in a lot of that music, you know. That I never melodic thought of it like so that, but, but yeah. I mean, very melodic, though. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it was a fantastic band. Jim Keltner was on drums. Um, what What's it like playing with him? Oh, tremendous, man. That's Jim is my hero, man. Incredible, man. Really? Yeah, you should get him on here. He's, I'd he's, love he's, to get he's, Jim yeah, Keltner yeah. on here, yeah. What a legend. What a legend. Um, yes, it was just a fun tour. And then, of course, we would... You know, Paul, Paul and Artie are so <laughs> wow. We would do two sound checks pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one for oh, them, and one. yeah, one for each of them, and then one together. Oh wow! Wait, yeah. really? Yeah. Like they were that divided as a unit? No, not necessarily divided. Just they had particular things that they wanted in the sound check. So with the Who and with Paul Simon, didn't you also end up doing being part of some studio recordings? as well albums that they were putting out i did a paul simon album surprise but that was just paul yeah it wasn't that simon Goff. right right uh, and the who yeah did the last record the who did which which was a really good record actually what was it like to work with pete townsend in a in a in that in in a studio, recording studio yeah, yeah. i've worked with him over the years in in that environment he, pete's an absolute genius man he's, he's incredible it's just great being around him great playing music with him i want to skip a little bit ahead can you talk about working on the sob rock record with John, you you didn't play bass I, on. You only did it live. It. No, I did some of the record, but not much of it. Like maybe a couple of tracks, because that was kind of in during the pandemic. I think he recorded a lot of that stuff. Really? Okay. Because my shock was that you know, for those that don't like the the Sob Rock record for John Mayer was like his version of the Yacht Rock. Yes. Like the 80s. If he had he released a record in eighty three to eighty four, like that period what would he sound like which totally all of you all the musicians on that record didn't sound like themselves but yeah well i only played on a few tracks i, I sort of let you down on that one man <laughs> but did even the songs you played on did you have to unsound like yourself no not at all no the, and those songs that i played on were ones that he did before he went in the studio to do that record so they were just sort of random one-off songs that that he wanted to record anyway okay so when he went in to do the full album uh, with Sean Hurley on bass and uh, uh, um, yeah, Aaron on drums, yeah, I wasn't around for that. 
I see. Questions, people? This man got a session to get to it. Yo, we were yeah. trying to get Pino to work, so I've been texting you. Clearly, you guys are having a conversation. We are. We're trying to get Pino to work. We've been texting your phone. It's time for a commercial break. No, when when this show is happening, phones are down, so I'm not getting texts. Oh. It's time for a commercial break. No, I'm supposed to stop at 8 o'clock. It's all good. Y'all got to let me know. I'm under the impression that 8 o'clock is when we stop this. No, we were trying to get Pino to his. Hey, but it's fine. Pino's good. We're all good. Y'all gotta communicate that to me. We, we don't communicate to. it to each other. Like, oh, no, let me know. I, no, I called you. I didn't know your phone. Yeah, though. I was about to call I'm, you too. My phone is off. No, your phone is. My phone is off. I turned my phones off and my ring, my text, all we that stuff is off. Man, sorry. We'll, we'll come so I was just getting frustrated. I'm like, yeah. okay, I thought I was asking too many questions. No, we're all about Pino's punctuality. We're very concerned about Pino's next gig. Clearly, uh, <laughs> motherfucking Pino needs another gig. You're saying that Pino has to be at the gig at eight, right? But it's okay. Let me know. Okay, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I already told him I'm going to be late, so we're good. Well, let's wrap it. All right. Also, don't ask Pino what the gig is. It's a big fucking secret. So there you go. Moving on. We don't know what gig it is. We don't know what gig it is. Well, I don't. You might, because can we follow you to this gig? No. I asked to come. He said I could go. Amir can. Do I want to follow you to this gig? Hmm. I couldn't Sorry, say. Sorry, I didn't mean to blow Shit, the last time you told me about a gig I went to go see, I wound up playing the gig and the mushrooms had kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hell of a night. That yeah, was a hell of a night. I, all I wanted to do was watch my idol drum and then suddenly people was calling me like, uh, so you got to learn the show. Funny. He has COVID. So. That's oh, sick. yeah, I remember when that happened. Okay. I knew the whole thing. Time. I just didn't know about the mushroom part of that. That's, that's Well, yeah, but then, you know, I got to you guys, man. the mushrooms that kicked in. But well, man, if you're around tomorrow night, or you got any time tomorrow, I'm in the studio with Blake over at Sound City. So really? We'd love to have you over. I'm finally glad that Blake, of all people, Blake, the way that he talks about Voodoo's like his old dream. So the fact that he finally connected with you. Yeah. I know one, you know, it's his dream to connect with D also. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Glad, I'm, I'm glad sure, that's man. happening. Yeah. Um, sure. No, well, I think I'm, I'm going to cut it so that Pino can get to his. Session. I mean, you know, or we are a legend in the building who actually still works too. So it's kind of weird. Let's keep that man working. Yes. Yeah. No, I, 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 I will say that you know, it's it's your mind. You make you make us all play better. You make us listen better. And you know, for that, I thank you, man. Man, man thank you so much, man. Every oh, bass player's favorite bass player. Everybody's bass player. Everybody's favorite bass player. Thank Everybody's you, favorite really bass player. Now get out of here and go to your gig. Yeah. This is what's up, Sabrina. You know, Valentino. He's out the door. <laughs> Goodbye. Wait, we gotta take a take picture, Pino. Hey, thank y'all for listening to Questlove Supreme. This podcast is hosted by an afro, a mouth, a rapper. An engineer and a man with too many jobs, a.k.a. Amir Questlove Thompson, Laia St. Clair, Fonte Coleman, Sugar, Steve Mandel, and unpaid Bill Sherman. The executive producers who get paid the big bucks, Amir Questlove Thompson, Sean G., and Brian Calhoun. Ask them for money. Produced by the people who do all the real work, Brittany Benjamin, Jake Payne, and, yes, Laia St. Clair. Edited by another person who does the real work, Alex Conroy. And those who approve the real work, produced for iHeart by Noel Brown and Mike Johns. And don't forget, the man is making me sound good right now, because I do. Audio engineering by Graham Gibson at iHeart's LA studio. Thanks, y'all. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.